Hey guys, welcome to the Bill Barnwell Show. I am Bill Barnwell. Today, Ben Gretsch of the Stealing Signals newsletter joins the show for the second consecutive year in week one to break down what matters and what does not matter from what we saw in week one of the NFL season. I think last year we talked a little bit about Cooper Cup when it came to maybe having a breakout season in week one. So this stuff can be valuable if you're a fantasy player gambler or someone who just wants to learn more about the nfl so we're going to talk to ben in a second but first before we start today's show i want to plug a podcast which is by of all people the espn and enscape contributor dominique foxworth who has a new podcast every tuesday and thursday dominique is bringing you his unique perspectives on football with the personality surrounding so check out the dominique foxworth show and listen wherever you get your podcast All right, joining me now here is promised on the Bill Barnwell Show, someone we had on week one last season because I think he does such a wonderful job in his newsletter, Stealing Signals, of breaking down what matters and doesn't matter from production, from fantasy players, but also from offenses on the whole in a given week. That matters more in week one than any other week in the NFL season because it's so easy to draw crazy conclusions from what we saw having had six months without football because there's 16 or 17 other weeks of football to account for after this. So the the information you find out in week one has more time to be meaningful than any other week. And because people go crazy about week one. And so you have the opportunity if you're a fantasy owner, if you're a better, if you're just a football fan to actually figure out what's going on and what's going to be meaningful as opposed to what was just a one-week blip. So joining me to talk about all that is the excellent writer of Stealing Signals, as I mentioned, Ben Gretsch. Ben, how are you? I'm great. Thank you so much. And I, I think you said that so well. It's um, it Week one is so funny because yeah. we do know that there's going to be trends that, that we're going to look back on and they're going to define the season. And we saw them already in week one. I mean, we saw Cooper Cup's route spike in week one last year in a way mm-hmm. that he often didn't, you know, run routes on every pass, but uh, every pass play, but he did in week one was very good in week one. And that just mm-hmm. continued all season, right? Mm-hmm. We saw Austin Eckler get some goal line work early in week one for fantasy. That ended up being a huge storyline of last season. So there are going to be those trends that matter. And then, like you said, there's just so much that like football is a very high variant sport yes. and it's just, it's a one week blip, right? So mm-hmm. trying to, to dig through all that is a, is always a, a really fun, element of you know that that's you know what i do in my newsletter and it's it's always a really fun element of week one for sure yeah and i think absolutely this week you know a lot of stuff to get to a lot of stuff that i think frankly you were on top of before the season even started i feel like this was a bit of a victory lap for you um given the first guy we're going to talk about and ty montgomery who sadly is on ir now but let's get to the positive let's get to a player you have been on board with wanting a bigger role for it and seeing as a superstar wide receiver for pretty much his entire career. Is that fair to say? <laughs> yep. Uh, and we're going to talk about AJ Brown now of the Philadelphia Eagles who moves to Philadelphia after three years in Tennessee and has just a monster game his first time out. So Ben, what did you see in AJ Brown with the Eagles during that debut game against the Lions? And are you optimistic you can be that guy moving forward through the rest of the 2022 season? Yeah, I mean, first of all, it was just awesome to see him running around on 95% of dropbacks. Mm-hmm. I think when he moved from from Tennessee to Philly, a lot of the talk was always going from one low volume offense to another. But Tennessee always does some interesting things, and, and Brown had some injury stuff. But they always do some sure. interesting things where they run out of certain formations and then they 
show those same looks and do some play action. And so Brown wouldn't yep. necessarily be on the field on some plays. He had a lot of games where his routes as a percentage of the dropbacks weren't up over 90%. Mm-hmm. Just last year, he had 11 games where he's healthy enough to get 50% routes. He was in this 83 to 86% route range five times. That's not like a horrible number, but in an already low volume offense to be giving up like 15% of the team dropbacks and not being out on a route. You don't see that with a lot of other elite receivers. So that was one point I, I kind of had with Brown this offseason was mm-hmm. I don't think people realize that Titans offense was s- sort of holding him back statistically from like a fantasy standpoint. Mm-hmm. He runs 40 routes in this first game. He only did that twice in three Tennessee seasons. His career mm-hmm. high is 42 uh, in the regular season. At least I, I, he might have broken that in the in the playoffs but the, with the regular season data I have. Mm-hmm. His 95% route rate, he only hit that number four times in three Tennessee seasons. It doesn't seem like a huge difference, but to be up at 95% versus, you know, some games where he's in this, you know, mid to even sometimes low 80% route range mm-hmm. for a, a team in Tennessee that wasn't dropping back enough was, you know, not ideal for him to put up these huge numbers. So very excited for him. Certainly, obviously, the Eagles are still a little bit of a, a run heavy team, but to see them be a little bit pass heavy in week one, mm-hmm. to see Brown out there running so many routes, that was just sort of all you need because he's so talented I guess maybe if there is one cause for concern, I'm incredibly, incredibly high on him, obviously, but the, the team passing average depth of target was only 4.1 yards downfield, very shallow. Mm-hmm. Brown did hit for a deep shot. He ended up with 94 of the team's 130 air yards, the 130 number, very low for a team. Brown's yeah. 94, not terrible. So he has this massive you know, share of air yards of 73%. I mean, he himself looked amazing. We'd like to see the offense be willing to, you know, to, to push it downfield. They, did play from ahead and that's probably part mm-hmm. of the conservative stuff the other really big thing right when he came over people said Jalen Hurts can't throw over the middle and I was really excited to see AJ Brown wins on a lot of in-breaking routes yep you know AJ Brown starts winning on these in-breaking routes and now all of a sudden Jalen Hurts can throw over the middle funny how that works right <laughs> yes it's, it's a magical coincidence that when you get a really good player on digs and slants and all that stuff you are suddenly better at running, I used to have throwing and breaking routes. It's so strange. Um, yeah, I, I mean, this is absolutely true. And I think it's one of the reasons why the Eagles highlighted AJ Brown. And when they traded for him, was thinking, you know, there is more meat on the bone when it comes to his production because, yes, his numbers have been good so far, but he was playing, you know, even when you just if you leave out routes, just in terms of the snaps, he was playing 70, 75, 80% of the snaps. And, and you could be a good receiver doing that. Julio Jones has been at that snap count typically in Atlanta. But right now, by adding those extra routes, by adding those extra opportunities, having him on the field more often, it's going to unlock a new level if he can stay on the field for that that rate over the course of the entire season. And I think you know, in week one, him getting that opportunity, running that percentage of routes, I think tells you the the Eagles are planning at the very least on having him be pretty much an every down, every pass drop back guy, which is really exciting for his upside. Yeah, I mean, the talent that he possesses, that that's what he should be doing. He can do everything. We saw that in week one. We saw him catching passes in the shallow area and then mm-hmm. creating yards after contact. We saw him catching deep passes and then also creating, I thought he was going to score on the deep shot. He was yeah. kind of like refusing to go down and just getting those extra few yards. Mm-hmm. Really good play by the DB. They kind of just hang on for real yes. life for, for, uh, for life until his <laughs> you know support came over to bring him down at like the five yard line. But I mean, he's so tough to bring down once the ball is in his hands. So, I mean, he's going to have a great year. It's just such an exciting week one. Certainly. Yeah, absolutely. And, and a different sort of interesting week one and sort of getting to the same stuff about, 
um, about usage is Gabe Davis, where someone who was coming up a lot as sort of a maybe a controversial pick in, in best ball in terms of how high he was going. He was going in like the, the fourth round range in a lot of cases for a guy who had not been, you know, obviously the four touchdown game against the Chiefs was impressive, but a guy who was not really that sort of player last year for most of the season, but Gabe Davis going highly. And then week one, the numbers solid, but is there anything about his usage or his performance beyond the numbers that the sort of the, the passing numbers that makes you think there's a lot to be optimistic about here. Yeah. I mean, I wrote in the off season, you, you mentioned that, it, you know, hit some things. I, I thought he shouldn't have been that controversial. What I wrote was that it really comes down to routes. So there's a lot of yep. people that felt like because he didn't really earn the big route role over the first two years, we couldn't be certain he would, he would run, you know, as a full-time player run routes mm-hmm. at, at that type of rate, he ran routes on hundred percent of dropbacks. I mean, there's not yeah. much more. I mean, that's the the big, big thing with Gabe Davis. He's been very good through two years as sort of a part-time player. Mm-hmm. You saw the way that they attacked the offseason. I think they ended up getting more and more buy-in that this was going to happen as the season or as the summer went along. Yeah. He started to go even higher and higher. Like you mentioned, because you talk about every other element of his profile, you have the pills are going to be, you know, very aggressive passing the ball over expectation. Davis is going to be a vertical air yards guy who's been efficient, uh, you know, once the target is earned and he's been good enough at earning targets on a per route basis for a vertical guy. They mm-hmm. also love to take shots to him in, you know, in the end zone, in the red yep. zone and in the end zone when they're in sort of mm-hmm. that shot range plus 40 yard range, they love to take these shots to Gabe Davis. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, it's cliche. He had the four touchdowns in the, in the playoff game, but there are yeah. certain types of guys who can, can have four touchdown games, right? Right. And, of course. Like this, this is the, the profile that you're looking at and going, you know, especially you mentioned best ball and half point PPR type fantasy leagues. I mean, mm-hmm. you don't need, he only had five targets and four catches. That's not ideal, but you don't really need a ton of receptions. You need this 88 yards and a touchdown. That's fantastic. He got the designed release play early, mm-hmm. almost kind of being treated like a tight end a little bit which I mean, he's big and fast and it worked perfect and he scores. And, and then, you know, the big thing for me with his low targets, if you're concerned about that was I, I kind of draw inferences on the way. De- I'm not a big all 22 guy. I draw inferences on the way defenses are playing based on what the offenses are taking and whether they're mm-hmm. successful at it. Mm-hmm. Josh Allen taking a lot of underneath stuff early in the game, very successful, still moving the ball kind of told me like the Rams are probably dropping into coverages and making it difficult for him down yeah. the field. You know, if a team plays you that way on a one-week basis, that's probably not great for Gabe Davis. But then still, when they did get an opportunity to hit that deep shot, they did hit it later. And Davis has that long catch down inside the 10. Mm -hmm. Uh, I I thought it was a fantastic game for him. And one of the things I wrote about this week is I think they're going to be looking the way that the Bills design things. I mean, they've been trying to get Josh Allen to just come from the downfield, you know, eyesight to the the Mm -hmm. checkdowns more. But they're going to be looking at Gabe Davis's routes early in the progressions. And so he's going to continue to stay efficient. Josh Allen's going to let it go when he wins on his route. When he doesn't, Davis isn't going to get that target. They're going to try to come down and check down. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think he's – I'm not reading too much into the target share stuff. There's a lot of talk of, about that in like sort of the, the fantasy space. But mm-hmm. the 100% routes, he's out there running these deep routes constantly. He has the profile that we want to target in a pass-heavy offense. I mean, mm-hmm. fantastic week one. He's going to have an awesome season. Yeah, I, I think absolutely. You know, you mentioned the sort of maybe the, the, the coverage stuff. And I think the Rams, you know, under Raheem Morris, they run a version of that Brandon Staley defense, which is a version of the Vic Fangio defense, which we can go on and on. But that's really, you know, at, at its heart, uh, typically a too high defense. I think we may see teams try and defend the Bills to some extent, the way we saw teams defend the Chiefs last year, where it is higher doses of too high. But we saw even in this game. 
two opportunities to hit big plays for Gabe Davis uh, on the play action shot early in the game, which by the way, I'll get to that in a second, but the play action shot early in the game and then the deep post when the Rams blitzed on third down late in the game, that play action shot I think is sort of the you know, you're talking about why do the routes matter? You know, what does it mean that he's on 100% of the dropbacks versus 89 or 95? Who cares? This is a perfect example of why it does matter because on that touchdown, the Gabe Davis 26-yard touchdown early in the game where the Rams blow a coverage off of a, a Josh Allen play action fake on third and one, the Bills had one wide receiver on the field and it was not Stephon Diggs. It was Gabe Davis and Gabe Davis happened to be the wide receiver who got deep and caught that touchdown pass. So there is something meaningful and tangible that being on the field for every single snap because you might be the only guy capable of running downfield and catching a long touchdown pass on a play. It wasn't going to be Tommy Sweeney. All due respect to Tommy Sweeney catching a long touchdown pass. It was going to be Gabe Davis and that was the opportunity for him. So this stuff is meaningful and tangible and does play out in valuable ways. So that's an, I think, a clear reason of why you want to get, want to at least pay attention to this stuff because that is a difference between, you know, Gabe Davis having a big day and Gabe Davis having an okay day. Yeah, absolutely. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better with the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit style pizza in the country. There is no competition and right now get five dollars off any eight corner pizza with code eight save that's the number eight s-a-v-e go to jetspizza.com to learn more and find a jets pizza location near you again try jet signature eight corner pizza and get five dollars off with code eight save that's number eight s-a-v-e jets pizza better because it has to be um on the other side of the passing spectrum um, the Browns 49ers game. I watched this game again as I was writing my column on Sunday trying to figure out what happened with Trey Lance. I I think I came down on the relatively pessimistic side relative to other stuff I've seen. A lot of people I respect more optimistic about it. I think maybe I was a little too harsh. Um, I wasn't crazy. I didn't say like he's he sucks or he's not going to be good at football or anything. I think it was just, you know, you can't really take much away from it. But in terms of what you saw, Lance throws a bad pick around like the seven minute mark. They're mm-hmm. down three. The Bears go down and score on a short field. It goes to 19 to 10. And that ends up being the final score line. The, the 49ers at that point, you know, get the ball back and they need to now press, play fast, and throw. Yep. And at that point, the field, I mean, when the Bears went down to score, it was basically just running the ball. The field is mm-hmm. just like they're literally wading through <laughs> a small <laughs> pool, a shallow kiddie pool. Like it, I've never, I, I've watched a lot of football. I, I, was saying i don't think i've seen a field in worse condition just from rain but mm-hmm. even like the you go back to like the LaShawn mccoy's you know overtime run in the snow game back in the day mm-hmm. like those snow type of fields are, are more playable than, than what yeah. we saw late in this game it was really really bad um for sure and so there's an element certainly that's okay not just not just you know uh lance's grip on the ball or his movement in the pocket but like, what, where's the timing at with the wide receiver routes? You know, a lot yeah. of times when when we get weather games, the receiver actually has the advantage because he knows where he's going. The DB's got to react. Mm-hmm. The, this field was so bad that everyone's just basically running in mud. So how do you even get out into a route and create separation? I mean, it was very challenging from that uh, perspective. I felt like there were some positives given all that, that I felt like, you know, Lance took two sacks. There were a couple times he was in the pocket. Maybe he wasn't, maybe he was missing guys downfield again. I, I you know, you can't see all the routes on the regular uh, 
you know, game broadcast mm-hmm. and I haven't, I haven't like sat and looked through the, the all 22, maybe mm-hmm. he's missing some rounds downfield. That's something that I would be interested in, in, in kind of learning about if that was the case, but I felt like probably not a lot of guys getting open. And then he's sort of just like throwing towards covered players that aren't even moving around. They're just kind of standing in one place mm-hmm. and, and at times just kind of throwing low. And it seemed like throwaways because he, I felt like he did have a decent enough clock in, uh, in the pocket where he just mm-hmm. didn't need to take a whole bunch of sacks. The times where they did get guys open when the field was in decent condition early, he hits Brandon Ayuk wide open on a crosser, yeah. but yeah. right, you know, right on, right on, right on time, right on stride, nails mm-hmm. him in the in the middle of the numbers, hits Ray Ray McLeod a little bit more covered, uh, you know, some some defenders in front and behind that route mm-hmm. on another crosser. I thought he made a couple of good third down throws in in sort of tight windows in the middle of the field, mm-hmm. uh, but yeah, I mean, he underthrew a deep shot to Jawan Jennings. There was there was a lot there that he you'd like to see him clean up. I mean, even mm-hmm. just at the end of the half, they were trying to just do one play uh, to try to get like 60 yards or whatever, probably going to be a lot of laterals. And he's supposed mm-hmm. to just throw it out to Debo and he doesn't even get the throw out to, to a completely uncovered Debo. He skips it to him and that's halftime. Mm-hmm. Some of those throws were bad. Yeah, how much do we know or how much of it was the weather? I, you know, I don't know the, the interception was bad too, but I felt like there were some good throws, <laughs> you know, it yeah. mixed in there and it was a really tough spot to be in. Uh, as particularly as it relates to like the time, this offense, this passing game is so much about timing. We've seen mm-hmm. that with Jimmy Garoppolo for years. I thought on some of the plays where the field is in a little better condition, like I said, the timing was actually pretty solid. So I'm I'm a little bit optimistic that we'll we'll see him play better when he's not playing in a monsoon. Yes, for sure. And and I think the passing stuff doesn't concern me that much. I think I want to see in week two what he does as a runner in terms of the variety of stuff they run. Cause they had, they were in like a triple option early, Like they had some cool stuff in there, but it was more conventional um, and more about Debo Samuel than anybody else really, given that Eli Mitchell got hurt and is going to miss the next two months. Um, it really felt like there was a, a really heavy dose of Debo as a runner. And I guess I'm not surprised by that necessarily, but I think what really stood out to me when Trey Lance did run is that he took a lot of hits in this game. He, it wasn't like, he was avoiding hits. He was sliding. It wasn't like he was getting out of bounds. He was he taking was, on people. He was ta- <laughs> he was like taking on like Roquan Smith, who's yeah. like a big linebacker. And I was like, you know, okay, like yes, he's a big dude. He can take that, hopefully. But I, I always think about Lamar Jackson, and Lamar Jackson is a much smaller person. He is not the same kind of player at all as Trey Lance. But Lamar Jackson is so good at avoiding hits and so good at avoiding contact that it's it extends his likelihood of playing 17 games or 16 games. I know he didn't last year, but you know, his ability to play that role and survive is, is because he's so good at avoiding hits. Russell Wilson early in his career, when he did run more often, same thing. He was so good at avoiding hits. And I think when it comes to Trey Lance, I'm hoping we see that in week two and beyond hoping that that the, the better weather makes it easier to slide easier to avoid that contact because there were some hits in this game where even the announcers were like, this is terrifying. What are you doing? Yeah. yeah. The, the guy who reminded me of the most in this game was early career Josh Allen, who would do some of that stuff too. Lower oh, yeah. his head a little bit more than you want him to. And also just the, you know, the erratic throws in the, in the shorter area of the field, Allen had some of that, but would still have some good throws down the field. For sure. Uh, and so, yeah, he reminded me a lot of, you know, early career Josh Allen. I was like, Hey, if he can figure out some of these shorter area throws, I liked those, you know, 15 yard crossers being on time. I mean, some of that mm-hmm. stuff is a little bit harder. You don't necessarily see, and he had some zip on some of those balls. So, but the, the running stuff, I completely agree with. He was, I, you watch that game. You're like, he's going to get hurt, but I, I'm with you. I'm like, I, I hope this was just the weather. And he's like, this is the way we have to win. I'm going to be tough for my team. You know, yeah. the competitiveness is exciting too. For sure. Absolutely. I mean, you know, clearly 
He cares. He, he's playing hard. It was a tough situation. I'm really excited to see them next week against the Seahawks. Um, I want to talk about a couple teams who threw the ball at different rates than maybe we were expecting. And I want to have you introduce a stat to talk about that. Can you please explain pass pass rate over expected for the listeners? Yeah. So it's sort of a little bit self-explanatory, right? Pass rate over expected. We have to get an expected pass rate. The expected pass rate is based on the down, the distance, the, the time left, uh, you know, all, all based on historical, you know, line of scrimmage, all based on historical data and, how frequently teams would pass in basically every snap in every situation. I get my numbers from the great Mike Leone at uh, establish the run and basically pass rate over expected is okay. You have this expected pass rate. Then you have their actual pass rate. It's called pass rate, not um, you know, pass attempts. So the quarterbacks that do scramble a lot more, we're looking at the call pass plays mm-hmm. as opposed to yeah. um, the pass attempts element. And so, yeah, you're just saying, was the team more pass-heavy or less pass-heavy relative to what their game script was was pushing them towards? Week one pass rate over expectation is out. And the team that threw most often relative to what their expectation was in terms of the game script was the Miami Dolphins. Which <laughs> I, I don't know about you, Ben. I did not expect the Dolphins of all teams to be throwing at the highest rate of football against the Patriots, who we know have a typically very good pass defense. So I guess, are you shocked? Is it sustainable? Is there anything weird that stood out to you that makes you think it's not likely to be happening going forward? Explain the Dolphins' crazy pass rate to me from week one. Well, the biggest thing I would say with them, and and this is to deal with kind of any status, we have to put some context to it. The Dolphins, because of all their game situations being in, in positive game script throughout the game had the lowest expected pass rate of any team at 48.3%. Their mm-hmm. actual pass rate of 61% was not necessarily particularly high. It's still great to see them throwing with a lead late in the game. They weren't just going into, you know, we say sometimes into their little turtle shell and running mm-hmm. the ball and trying to cling to this lead. They were willing to continue to try to score in the fourth quarter on their drives to continue to try to throw the ball aggressively and that was exciting to see. But when you look at this, I, I think the, 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 the degree of the positive pass rate over expected is a little bit of a trick of the stat where their expected pass rate was so low. The mm-hmm. actual pass rate kind of just says they weren't that concerned about the game situation. They were taking the Patriots seriously, even when they were ahead and they kept running their offense like it was a tie game as opposed to them being up two scores, which again, that's, that's, that's a positive. That's exciting. Uh, I, I, I mean, I think there's elements to how they ran their offense too that are that are exciting from a past mm-hmm. uh, mentality. I mean, Tyree kills pre-snap movement, and if you go look at his next-gen stats chart uh, with all the routes and everything, you'll see a lot of his routes were, you know, on on his targeted plays were on pre-snap movement. His two catches of twenty or more air yards were both on plays where the route is, you know, starting laterally or mm-hmm. uh, horizontally, right. And then curving up the field because he mm-hmm. was in motion and then cutting up the field. Um, mm-hmm. It was nice to see them use him, move him around, use him in the shallow area and downfield off of motion. That's an exciting element to the offense. Right. And that's the type of stuff that we've seen with, with Shanahan's offense in the past in San Francisco, some of the stuff they do with Debo, there's some you know, jet motion tip mm-hmm. pass stuff in there. Yeah, for sure. Um, so I, I don't think they'll be at 12% over expected every week. I do think 
some of it is an extended run game thing with this the motion and some some throws into the flat and getting the ball into the hands of their playmakers. They have these two really electric wide receivers, obviously. Yeah, and I think that maybe is like the thing where I'm looking back and I'm like, of course they're going to throw the ball more than you think. I, I guess in my head, heading into the season, I thought, okay, Mike McDaniel was such a, you know, was was really the run guy for the 49ers, really helped to you know put together their run game, their run packages, and he's coming to Miami where Tua could maybe use a little bit of help, it's fair to say, in terms of keeping pressure off of him. But they also added Tyreek Hill. And they have Jalen Waddle, both of whom are really good. Like, it's not crazy at all to think that they would throw the ball quite frequently with two star wide receivers. So I'm optimistic, maybe more so about Tua and about this passing attack than I was heading into the season. Yeah, me too. I mean, they got off to a, sort of an inauspicious start. Tyreek gets open downfield and kind of a bad snap, and, and, and Tua sort of spikes it, oh, uh, short hops it to Tyreek. That could have been a, a long touchdown. But, you know, throughout the game, really got going, loved the waddle play, right? Right in the yeah. middle of traffic and we get the explosive play. We didn't get as much, you know, he didn't get as much room to operate after the catch. Now you have Tyreek on the offense and just a little seam and he's gone, right? And so that was mm-hmm. that was so exciting to see from him because we didn't get those explosive plays. Last. I think Waddle's going to have plenty of those types of explosive plays now that Tyreek's spreading the field out as well. So <laughs> should be a really fun year for them. I was very concerned you were going to anger to Anon with your first comment. Thankfully, you came <laughs> back and complimented to us, so we are safe. Um, another team that threw at a higher rate than I expected, and maybe this is my own sort of narrative coming into play, the Baltimore Ravens, who threw 7.6%, a plus 7.6% PROE. Um, again, with the Ravens, were you surprised they threw the ball so much against the Jets? They were, I mean, yes. Uh, to to a, to an extent, they were obviously pretty pass heavy last year. A lot of that was driven by their game situations. Their pass rate over expected was actually very slightly negative, even though they had one of the highest pass rates in the league because they were in just so many weird games late where you yeah. have these high expected pass rates, uh, especially down the stretch. They had a bunch of those back and forth games. They yeah. had the late games where they went for two and, yeah. you know, absolutely a lot of plays where they're expected to be throwing a ton. So this being well above expectation is, you know, it stands out a little bit, even, even relative to last year. I mean, I, but I, I, you know, kind of like what you said, I, I, I was in on them going back to being more run heavy. When mm-hmm. you look at the draft, they bring in more tight ends. You look at their depth at tight end with McBoyle coming back and those rookies. Yep. And you look at the fact that they didn't really address depth at receiver. They let Marquise Brown go and it seemed like they wanted to be in these multi tight end formations and be running the ball. And yet with Dobbins not necessarily being healthy and they have to claim Kenyon Drake and it becomes pretty clear he is going to play a decent role. I did start to to expect that they would be a little bit pass heavy, at least early in the year. It'll be interesting to see when Dobbins is back and if he's healthy, if they are getting back to this, you know, run heavy mentality that, you know, has been their identity, at least certainly prior to 2021. And when they were good, when they had really good years in 2019 and 2020, Mm -hmm. I think in the fantasy community, people are like, Oh, they're throwing more. This is so excited for fantasy. When you're the Baltimore Ravens, like 2021 didn't go well, right? And so you're looking back at 2019 and 2020, and you're saying, that's how we want to play. That's that's our identity. This game went very well. Uh, I think part of the reason they they wound up so positive, though, as well, is they had low play volume overall. The Jets mm-hmm. dinked and dunked late. You got the Joe Flacco drop, you know, dump offs, even though they're getting blown out. So the Ravens really didn't run many pass, uh, run many, many plays at all in yeah. the second half where – you know, maybe are running a lot and bringing down that expected uh, or pass rate over expected. Um, but yeah, I mean, with the running back injuries and everything, it's exciting to see them throw. It was exciting to see Mark Andrews maintain the high routes per drop back, which was a big 
bump to his profile last year that he didn't necessarily have prior. He ran routes on, I think it was 94% of dropbacks. So he's basically their wide receiver one, if you will. Mm -hmm. Uh, Rashad Bateman in the like 70% routes range, not necessarily great, but very clearly second on a team that's rotating a little bit. So I was excited for him as well uh, with the, with the pass rate stuff. I mean, I think you got to be excited that that they're willing to throw that they, they're, they're just a sharp team. They they, they recognize they don't have a lot of depth at running back right now. And and so Mm -hmm. I think that was the big driver of it. Yeah, I mean, I will say, of all the quarterbacks to drop back 62 times in week one, how excited were you that it was Joe Flacco and the New York Jets? <laughs> I, uh, I'm not that excited. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I think that's meaningful also in terms of evaluating the Jets, right? I mean, so many yeah. players got got six, seven, eight, nine, ten targets. I mean, they had, they had two players get nine targets. Brees Hall got ten targets. Elijah Moore got seven. Garrett Wilson got eight. Braxton Berrios got six. Even Tyler Conklin got seven. And we know they're not going to run that many plays each week. So if you're super optimistic about Brees Hall, which maybe not as a runner, but based on his his target volume, it's probably not going to happen next week. Yeah, I, I mean, it, it, certainly the overall pass volume is not going to carry over, but we do we can usually count on Joe Flacco for quite a few checkdowns. So the, the 19 fair. total running back targets are are too high, but I mean, we'll probably still get like 10, right? And I'm yeah, hoping it, it's split between between Hall and Carter, and they both no, they both get five or six targets at least. That's fair. Now, on the flip side, a team that did not throw the ball very much relative to their not only their their pass rate over expected, but also our expectations maybe heading into week one, given their coaching staff and where they were previously, were the New York Giants and, and Brian Dable coming in. Uh, the, the season being about evaluating Daniel Jones, we figured maybe they're going to throw the ball a lot. And week one, I think, in a way, this uprooted a lot about what we thought about this offense, and maybe in some ways confirmed some of the stuff about Saquon Barkley that led to Saquon Barkley rising up fantasy charts late during the drafting process. So what did you see in the Giants against Tennessee week one? I mean, it, yeah, they wound up with an incredibly negative pass rate over expected. They were the only team even remotely close to either the Bears and the 49ers, who were yep. the two lowest teams in that weather game we just talked about. They did come out throwing a little bit. They had four first half sacks. One's a strip sack. Mm-hmm. They're not getting the ball down the field particularly well. Uh, Daniel Jones winds up at the end of the day with 21 pass attempts. Seven of them go for checkdowns to uh, to Saquon, uh, mm-hmm. who ends up having a really great receiving day, even in a game where his team only threw 21 passes. Yep. Daniel Jones was scrambling a decent amount, winds up with five sacks. He also threw an interception in the second half when they tried to throw a little bit more. Yes. And then you have Saquon Barkley creating explosive plays. And so I part of me thinks they were just like, look, we're trailing and we should be throwing, and that's where you get this high expected pass rate. Mm-hmm. But the best way that we get back at this game is just getting yes. the ball to Saquon Barkley's hands because the receiving core isn't necessarily great right now. Wondell Robinson, the exciting rookie that they are very excited about, you know, this rookie that they have gets hurt right away. Yep. Um, Sterling Shepard coming back from the Achilles winds up hitting for a deep touchdown, which was really exciting to see for him just, you know, from a health perspective, but mm-hmm. you know, we haven't been hearing good stuff about Kenny Galladay's health either. He runs a ton of routes in this game. Doesn't really do a whole lot. The guy that's so confusing is Kadarius Tony. They give yeah. him a couple of run plays and he looks as electric as ever. Definite shades of Brandon. Ayuk last year with, mm-hmm. with San Francisco. And I'm getting asked a lot from, from fantasy people that, you know, should I be cutting him from my fantasy team? I think you got to hold on to him because he pretty much got like his situation got better by not being used in this game and how bad the passing offense was. Yeah. Like they, it was pretty clear. They need to try to kick Kadarius Tony into their offense. 
So we'll see what happens in the next couple of weeks, but he's their most talented receiver, right? I mean, he looks so explosive. Yeah. I mean, it was a, it was a weird game, right? Where they weren't protecting Jones. Well, he wasn't obviously finding guys down the field while taking a lot of sacks, checking down so much that, you know, I'm, I don't know what to read into this. I don't know that it means that Dable's going to be very run heavy, or he was just like, look, this is the way we win this game. Mm -hmm. is getting the ball in the Saquon Barkley's hands. I mean, at the very least, it seems like they're open to a couple of things. Number one is maybe varying what they do from week to week if, mm-hmm. if they are throwing the ball effectively. And Daniel, and Daniel Jones was not terrible in this game. He was 17 of 21 for 188. He took a bunch of sacks. The interception was, I will say, horrific. The strip sack was very Daniel Jones-esque, but wasn't like he was, you know, completing 48% of his passes or anything. So um, maybe, you know, maybe they are open to throwing the ball more often if they're throwing it more effectively or they're in situations where they are more confident in Daniel Jones. But I think it tells us that more than anything, you know, even given that they didn't run a ton of plays in this game, that they're comfortable giving Saquon Barkley the Saquon Barkley running back one workload. Yeah. I mean, that was the really exciting thing. You know, he got, I, I talk about the stat high value touches, which are great for, for fantasy running backs. It's a combination of receptions and, and work inside the, the 10 yard line where obviously a high percentage of touchdowns are scored. Barkley got all their work down close. I think it was uh, all four of their running back touches in the green zone. They also used him on their two-point conversion when they went for the win and they got it. And that was all very exciting to see for his fantasy value. And then he also runs routes on, I think it was 75% of dropbacks, gets seven targets on only 21 attempts. And so he winds up with just a massive receiving plus red, uh, green zone role. And yet, it was in like a bad offensive game, right? Yeah. And he adds explosive plays. I compare it to Joe Mixon where the Bengals ran 94 plays and he had a lot of low value touches too. And his high value touches were good. They had the same number, 10 each. But for Mixon, it was, you know, elevated somewhat by the fact that his team played so many snaps and threw right. the ball so many times over 50 pass attempts. And so just basically by playing that many snaps and being on the field that much, you're going to catch a few more passes and those things. Barkley always had some high target shares to come out there and get seven targets and 21 attempts, catch a bunch of passes, have some explosive plays in the running game, get the the close in work and get the touchdown and the two point conversion and look explosive and close. Like he can be a guy who can score, you know, touchdowns every time they get in close and he's going to be the guy they're going to rely on. Like those elite fantasy running backs are the ones that, okay, they're in close. The giants are going to get the ball to Barkley. I'm going to get a touchdown right now for my fantasy team. I mean, it looked like all of that. And, and it was incredibly exciting from that perspective. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, when he did get the ball, he looked like this is, I don't know, maybe I'm not qualified to talk about a guy's burst. I always feel like I'm, you know, always, I'm not a professional scout, so I shouldn't say this, but he looked different. I mean, just yeah, the, the you know, when you see it, I mean, the long run we, we, watch it, we walk enough, we watch enough uh, football, Bill. We can at least say that <laughs> we, you can, we can say see that. some things, right? Yes, for sure. And I mean, you know, it was, it was very good to see whether you're a Giants fan or not, at least seeing Saquon Barkley back to his you know something that looks like his his rookie self is exciting for everyone he's a great football player when healthy and he looks the healthiest he's been in several years now and actually this is a good segue i'm I'm accidentally professional at doing this somehow another player who looked better this week after a couple years where he was hurt maybe not in a great offense struggling a bit was in kansas city or i guess in arizona but the chiefs blew out the cardinals in arizona then I think people probably know I'm talking about Juju Smith-Schuster, but what do you think about Juju Smith-Schuster and the Chiefs offense in that first game against the Cardinals without Tyreek Hill? I was so excited about their offense. I mean, just generally seeing 
you could see the thesis in the offseason was we're not going to be a two horse yep. game in, in the passing game anymore. We're going to let obviously a very talented player on Tyreek Hill go, but then replace him in a way that now our third and fourth options are better than they've ever been. Right. And mm-hmm. so now we have m- more depth and they, you know, defenses can't scheme to take away just Tyreek Hill and then leave us with, with limited options where um, we don't really trust our third and fourth weapons. And, and so what you saw, I think, was we always see some creative play calling from Andy Reid off long, long yep. uh, breaks. And so I, I'm not sure if we'll see that you know stick a ton, but a lot of creative play calling usage for a lot of different pass catchers, which was all very exciting. But the one guy that stood out to me was Juju. He gets uh, an average depth of target up over 10 yards. That was a big you know issue with his profile the last couple of years in Pittsburgh, even when he was playing well, basically being treated like a glorified tight end in a really yeah. shallow area. He got eight targets in just the first half of this game. He did have two fumbles, lost one. That's not good. But the, you know, the early and often throwing to him, and then it's a blowout, and they're up, you know, big at halftime, and they score in five plays on, the, on their next drive in the second half. And I think at yeah. that point they're up 30 to seven or something. I'm not as concerned about how everything works out in the second half, especially because Juju had some some knee pain, I think, during camp. The fact that he comes out in the first half when they're building their lead and they're really trying to go get teams or go get the Cardinals, obviously they and draws the eight targets. He actually had a ninth on another deep shot that was, you know, not completed, but they got a roughing the passer call. So it gets pulled off the data. It would have elevated his eight odd even more. Yep. Um, it, yeah. Just exciting to see him down the field again. Yeah. And he looked like that, you know, version of himself that was a lot uh, that we've been waiting to see since, since, you know, 20, what was it? 2018, I think is, it was his really big second season. Mm-hmm. We, we got to see a little bit more of that for the first time in, in a few years. So um, I was a little bit skeptical of him. I was more in on like Sky Moore and playing mm-hmm. the, the Chiefs to some later guys, obviously Travis Kelsey, you know, the sort of the rock in the middle of the offense and, you know, still had a great game and somebody that, um, looked like what, you know, fantasy drafters thought he would be in the first mm-hmm. and, and, and second round. Um, but yeah, Juju for me was a little bit maybe too expensive with, with how we haven't seen it in so long. And I just, mm-hmm. I felt like I'm going to be wrong on that one because he, he looked like his old self and it was exciting to see. Well, I'll join you about Travis, uh, not, not about Juju, but about Travis Kelsey, because I, I looked this year and I said, you know, Travis Kelsey's entering his age 33 season. There's last time an age 33 tight end got over a thousand yards was 1965. So I wasn't like discounting Kelsey altogether, but I was like, mm, I'm a little concerned. Maybe he's not going to be that guy. He sure looked like that guy in week one. So who was I, that tight end in 1965? Oh God, it was someone on the Eagles in <laughs> okay. 1965. I don't would love to tell you that I remember this man's name. I'll look it up while I'm talking, but it, it's been a long time. And, and I think even if, you know, I think Kelsey's going to get to a thousand yards. It was that idea that, you know, maybe they can't depend on Travis Kelsey being the guy he was in 2018, 2019, 2020. Maybe there's more risk than there would be in a typical season. It was Pete Retzlaff, which is a very 1965 tight end name. I was uh, wondering I if I might recognize the name. I do not. <laughs> that is not, a, that is not a name that I, I can say I know. Does not come up in the player comps. Uh, no. 1965 Eagle Pete Retzlaff. But like, you know, uh, Travis Kelsey looked great. Juju Smith-Schuster looked great. The offense was humming. It looked effective. And and I think what was cool about seeing Juju was, you know, he was getting really easy completions. It wasn't like they were doing, you know, it wasn't like it was screens necessarily, but just he was getting matchups against linebackers. They were lining up in places where he could really run after the catch. And I think, 
you know, just having space to work with must be, must be so weird for Juju in this offense. Like that fumble he had um, where he lost it was on a play where he was running free over the middle of the field. Like how many times did he get to do that in the Pittsburgh offense over the mm-hmm. past couple of years? It, it's, it's such a different context that I think, you know, it opens up a, a really wide range of possibilities for Juju. Obviously, he could get hurt, could still struggle with the knee injury, um, but his upside is so high here. I think that space point is just so well said. We saw it with the running backs. All, all the running backs looked really effective. Yeah. This offense looked really hard to defend. They were creating space, like you said, and maybe Juju's not quite his 2018 self, but he's gonna he's still good enough to be able to benefit from from that element, which he hasn't had in years, like you said. I mean, so well, so well put. And and two red zone touches for Clyde Edwards-Alaire. My yeah. two years of being wrong about CEH, I'm, I was just early. Is what it I mean, down to designed designed touches yes. where he just walked in. I loved his little shrug on the play. I was like, <laughs> you didn't really do anything, you know? <laughs> like it was just a really good play call. You caught a pass and walked in. Like, that's not like the you don't get to do the Michael Jordan shrug after he hits like you know seven straight three pointers. Like all you did was catch a pass and walk in the end zone when no one's guarding you because they're not worried about you on the offense. I well I. I mean, to be fair, they've had two years of tape where the Chiefs would rather have handed the ball to Andy Reid than, than right. give the ball to Juju Schuster <laughs> inside the five, or sorry, to a Clyde Arizalea inside the five yard line. So I appreciate it. I, I'm still cautiously you optimistic. Look you, you look, look fine. Yeah. And you know what? I mean, I say Pacheco looked good. Um, the running game was solid. You know, it just felt like everything was clicking for them. So I think, again, want to see them in week two. Obviously, a big game coming up against the Chargers going to be really fascinating to see how they try to attack. Uh, a different sort of team. The, the, the Cardinals blitzed Patrick Mahomes at a super high rate. That did not work out for them. I don't think the Chargers are going to make that same mistake here in week two. Um, talked about Sky Moore, who is a, a rookie pick, who's not a first-rounder, but of the first-round receivers, the first-round wide receivers, obviously several of them coming out this year. Did anybody stand out to you in terms of their week one usage that that is optimistic or makes you think they're going to be you know inclined to deliver on their preseason expectations? Yeah, I thought this was a sort of a theme of the week. And this is something when you had me on in the off season, we talked about the stat targets per out run that I get really excited about. A lot of the rookies are not necessarily going to be in huge roles right away, but we did actually see several of them in pretty big roles, but like Traylon Burks, for example, gets draws five targets on only 13 routes. The main guys were uh, Robert Woods and Nick Westbrook Akine. They both only draw two targets on seven, you know, substantially more routes. I thought that was very positive for Burks that when he's only out there sporadically and maybe they were intentionally sort of looking at him when he was on the field, but he's drawing volume already in a limited role. You expect that role to expand. It might take a few weeks. It it took with the Titans. It took, you know, AJ Brown eight or nine weeks before he was a a full-time player as a rookie. And then he was a star the rest of the way, but exciting to see Burks drawing volume right away and being productive. It earns 55 yards on um, those five targets. And so that's Mm -hmm. exciting. Garrett Wilson ran 35 routes, a little bit lower rate than, you know, Elijah Moore and Corey Davis, who were sort of leading the team, but he had a 23% target route run, which was very exciting. Drake London was at 81% routes, which was really great, and had a 23% target route run. So just absolutely love London's start. Yep. And then Jahan Dotson, Alave, maybe a little bit more concerning. They both ran 85% routes. Dotson, I would say a little more exciting that he had the two touchdowns. Right. 13% target sprout run is, is not necessarily great. Didn't earn a ton of volume, but was making plays, right? Scoring touchdowns and, and then heavily involved. I think you have to be excited about that. Alave, the, the concern is he only drew uh, targets on 9% of routes. Part of my concern with him was when he was at Ohio State, when Garrett Wilson 
came on a year behind him. And when Jackson Smith and Jigba came on two years behind him, as those guys started to develop a lot of his targets per out in college started to actually drop off towards his final years, mm-hmm. which you don't like to see. We like to see for, for fantasy purposes. I, I still think Chris Olave is a fantastic player, but um, we, we like to see guys who are just, you know, dominating the volume. And he sort of was an ancillary piece there. And then he comes to a New Orleans team that has Michael Thomas, who looked very good in week one, who has Jarvis Landry, even as he's aging, still a fantastic targets per hour on guy, draws a lot of volume and has Alvin Kamara, who has one of the you know highest career target shares of running backs ever. Mm-hmm. And so to see Olave only draw the 9% of targets on in his first game, that can obviously increase. These are incredibly small samples. The 85% of routes that he ran, very exciting for him. But he's in a tough spot with, with Michael Thomas and Jarvis Landry and Alvin Kamara being guys that just that draw so much volume. Yeah, and I think, you know, part of his path to succeeding might be one of those guys getting injured or not being 100%. You know, it's a long season. So I think with all hands on deck for the Saints, it's going to be tough. And hey, I mean, none of those guys drew, you know, crazy reception numbers or target shares besides Landry of all players. Kamara didn't have a big game um, in terms of his his production as a receiver. He blocked more often than he typically does. Uh, Michael Thomas, you know, had the two touchdowns, which are great. and Got them over AJ Terrell, who's a fantastic player, but, um, you know, not a huge market share there. Uh, but you know, if one of those guys drops off, suddenly there's more for everybody else. And I think with the commanders offense and with the Falcons offense as well, actually, you know, I think there were concerns that maybe both those offenses would just be a disaster. And week one, both those offenses yeah. were pretty competent. And I think mm-hmm. that's optimistic for, you know, just just everyone in that those two offenses being more productive in 2022. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that I was excited to see Mariota play. That was one of my my favorite elements of, of week one was seeing, you know, Mariota finally getting another chance of playing well and get through Geno Smith into this conversation. It's, it's cool to see these guys that have, you know, kicked around as, as backups, get another opportunity to play well. The Falcons look fantastic. Um, and, you know, Pitts didn't have a, a great game, Kyle Pitts, but you have now this combination of London and Pitts that looks like they're going to have two really good receiving yeah. weapons. I mean, I thought that that was super exciting. Yeah, for sure. Let's finish up here talking about, the backup running backs, because of course, in fantasy, um, part of what you want to do is identify the backup running backs who are going to be starters before their starters get hurt or lose effectiveness or before they can get those opportunities. So in terms of the usage you saw this week, Ben, were there running backs, number twos, number threes, who you felt like had meaningful roles where if a starting running back got injured or wasn't available, they would move into the number one spot? Yeah, that was, I mean, this is like another big theme that I saw that I thought was interesting was we don't usually see so much clarity with the the handcuffs in fantasy. Mm-hmm. Um, it's often hard to know who it is, who it's going to be or who it is. One of the things we saw this week in a number of spots was that the third running backs that were active, even though the, in a couple of spots, the starter either left the game early or there was a lot of plays and needed to be spelled. The third running backs that were active did not play at all, and it was very clear who the number two was. We got that with Samaj P. Ryan with the Bengals. Chris Evans active, played only on special teams. They had a 94-play game. Joe Mixon, massive workload, needs to be spelled a little bit. It was P. Ryan on every single other offensive snap that Mixon wasn't on the field for. Same with Jalen Warren with the Steelers. Mm-hmm. Uh, other side of that game. And you have, <clears throat> sorry, uh, Najee leaving the game a little bit early yep. and and Warren playing 100% of the snaps the rest of the way there. And then in Arizona, we had both Jonathan Ward and Daryl Williams mm-hmm. active. Both of them play on special teams. Neither of them plays an offensive snap, even as James Conner leaves a little early in the blowout loss. You know, Benjamin gets all of that run. There were some 
certainly, you know, was the one that got the, the camp hype, but there was some concern later in, in camp that maybe that number two role wasn't as clear, seemed very, very clear that Eno's the yeah. guy that you want to hold there and um, exciting to, to have him as a handcuff because that's an offense that has generated a ton of running back fantasy points for a number of different guys over the last couple of years in stretches at least, Kenyon Drake, Chase Edmonds, James Conner last season, obviously. And then in Tampa, we had Gio Bernard as the active third back, and he doesn't play at all either. Rashad White gets five of his six carries after Leonard Fournette leaves that Sunday night game that was also sort of a blowout. Uh, Fournette's workload was huge, but White was the only one that played, even mixing in earlier in the game. He had a couple of catches and one carry in the early part of the game, and he got all the work late. Keyshawn Vaughn was inactive, but it did seem like Rashad White in his first game as a rookie looks like the pretty clear number two there as well. So, um, yeah, with, with the Steelers also, you had Benny Snell active, played on special teams, didn't get any touches after Najee Harris left. So you have all of these teams had a third back active and played on special teams and, and were there, but didn't play even a snap on, on, on offense, which you don't usually see at that clear cut. So those are four guys that I think for, for fantasy drafters or people in shallow leagues where they're not on, on teams yet, that they're, they're guys that should be on rosters on, in every league. Yeah, absolutely. Um, this is great, Ben. I mean, I feel like I learn so much reading your stuff every week. I I do a lot of this work on my own, and I feel dumb doing it now because I'm like, I could just read Ben, and I would save so much time doing this because Ben does this work for me now. Uh, but if people want to have you do this work for them and get smarter and learn more about football and get better as gamblers, get better as fantasy people, where can they do that? Where can they check out all the stuff you do? Yeah, the Stealing Signals newsletters at bengretch.substack.com. It is uh, a premium newsletter. I charge eight bucks a month. I write several thousand words every week. <laughs> um, I hear very frequently that it is massively underpriced. I agree. Uh, which I really I, appreciate I from, from my readers. Uh, but yeah, yeah, come come hang out. Come read all and the signal also, and noise from every game every week. Is, is and you're also thing. a podcaster as well. Yes, uh, Stealing Bananas over on Rotoviz Radio. The, the, the podcast is called Stealing Bananas with Sean Siegel. Very fun, fantasy-focused podcast. And then Ship Chasing on Wednesday nights with uh, Peter Overzet and Pat Corain. That's a live stream. We get a little sillier over uh, on that one. That's always a, a good time. Um, yeah, come, come tune in. Very sorry you're stuck having to carry Peter Overzet each and every week. <laughs> that guy's... So much fun to, to podcast with all the time. I know you've done the randomizer with him before. That was a, an absolute blast to watch. Uh, I think that was uh, last year, right? But that was, was, yes. that was a very fun one. Very scary. Thankfully, I survived. I didn't have to get naked or uh, prank call one of my closest friends. So I consider that a victory on the randomizer. But definitely recommend checking out Ben's work. It's excellent. And Ben, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thanks so much for having me. Always so much fun chatting with you about football. All right. Thanks so much to my friend Ben Gretsch. Does excellent work on stealing signals. Definitely, if you don't already subscribe to that newsletter, you will learn a lot. If you're a fantasy person, a gambling person, you will make money. Uh, you, it is worth more than what Ben charges. Hope you guys enjoyed this podcast. Hope you guys enjoyed week one. We had real football. So exciting to see actual meaningful football played. And it was crazy. It was such a fun, strange week of football with all the missed kicks, all the craziness from coaches really hit my wheelhouse for week one. Week two, of course, coming up tomorrow with Chargers Chiefs. I'm going to be previewing week two tomorrow on ESPN Daily with Pablo Torre. We get into a lot of stuff about uh, the 
coaching decisions from week one, talk about some of the key games for week two. So listen to that in the ESPN daily feed. And we'll be back next week. More football coming here on the Bill Barnwell Show. Thanks so much for listening.